Welcome to episode 17 of Flying Podcast. Today I'll be talking with Gary Cooper of Helicopters Northwest. Helicopters Northwest is a helicopter flight training company based at my home airport, and not surprisingly, Gary will be giving us an insight into the world of helicopter training. Uh, hi, Gary, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you, yes, and you? Very well, thank you. Uh, first question, why do people fly helicopters? Uh, why not, basically? Uh, they're fantastic machines, they're very versatile, um, you know, you can pretty much go anywhere that you want, um, and uh, they're just uh, fun to fly, they're, they're not boring at all. So, yes, we do go, uh, like you say, to uh, lots of various places, like Silverstone, uh, into the Cheltenham Gold Cup, we go to various hotels, so we're not restricted just to airports, and that's what makes them so fantastic. Uh, and what sort of helicopters uh, do you have here? Um, we have the Robinson R22, we've got uh, Robinson R44, we also have the Schweitzer, the 300 CBI, it was formerly known as the Hughes 269, which is still referred to today. Uh, we've got the Bell 206 Jet Ranger, and we also utilise Enstrom helicopters. Okay, and for the uninitiated, could you give us a, just a, a potted uh, summary of how a helicopter flies? Yes, uh, effectively the, the aircraft works by the engine which drives the main rotor. The main rotor is controlled by the pilot using a cyclic stick which controls our direction and airspeed. Uh, we also have a collective lever which controls the rotor blades. And with the engine power and the collective lever we use that to climb and descend and control the engine power. And because we've got this big main rotor turning anti-clockwise with these machines that we use, which are American machines, um, the aircraft, basically, the body wants to go clockwise. So to stop that from happening, we have the tail rotor on the rear there, and we use our feet to control the oar of the aircraft effectively and to counteract the torque reaction. So that's basically how it works. Okay, great. Uh, you offer training here. You presume do the PPLH? We do, yes. We do the PPLH, which is a minimum 45 hours. Uh, we find on average that it takes anywhere between 55 to, say, 75 hours, depending on the person's age and the coordination level. Um, you've got uh, seven exams to complete and one RT oral test, so you could say there's eight in total. Uh, all the exams are multi-choice, so the answers are there for you. And um, we find that with a bit of home study and a bit of uh, assistance from ourselves that most people pass their exams first time. Um, there's also uh, medical um, and you need, uh, it's a local aviation doctor uh, medical which is known as a JAR class 2 medical and that's for a PPLH license. So it's pretty much the same as for a PPLA, it is. it's just the basics yes. of helicopter study and there's a particular part it of the is. syllabus. That's right, yes. Uh, if you've already got a fixed wing license you do get dispensation basically off the CA and that amounts usually to about six hours, so that would bring it down to a 39-hour PPL. Okay. Um, I'm familiar with the, uh, the fixed-wing syllabus and how that progresses. Is it very similar for helicopters or is it slightly different? No, there are some similarities. You know, um, if you look at the very early exercises, we have effects of controls. Uh, we then move on to power and attitude changes, uh, climbing, descending, including turns. Then it starts to differ slightly because we effectively then go on to auto rotations, which fixed wing uh, would probably class as the stall. Mm -hmm. And we then move on to hover work, which is, um, I suppose, your equivalent is taxiing, you know. But uh, the hover work is where effectively you're still not attached to anything, but you're about five foot off the ground trying to control the aircraft in the hover, which is quite fun. 
I've, I've had a had a go, and it's uh, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy, but um, once you get your head round it, yes, it's like stood on a beach ball, rubbing your stomach, patting your head in the deep end of a swimming pool. Yeah. Okay, and once you've got your PPL, uh, what, where do you go from there? Is there a night training? Yes, you can go on to do a night rating. You could build hours to become a commercial pilot. You could go on to do your instructor rating. Uh, there's a mountain flying course. Um, in actual fact, you don't do any instrument work, like you could do an IMC rating. Uh, with helicopters, it's either VFR, visual flight rules, or IFR, instrument flight rules. And instrument flight rules in the United Kingdom for helicopters is only on twin-engined aircraft. So there's no single-engined IR at the moment, and uh, probably for the foreseeable future, basically. Um, you could then go on to advanced landing sites like hotels, um, this sort of thing, or you could do some advanced exercise training. So we tend to have a mix of um, students that so once they've qualified they effectively uh, will still come back to us and hire the aircraft and if the weather isn't particularly good that day uh, where they don't want to fly on the, their own then we'll go out and do some dual exercises maybe some authorizations just to keep the skills honed and up to date okay so just a, a sideline here if you were flying vfr can you fly over cities let's say you know you had a helipad on a hotel in a city can you fly in no because you've got to think about all the time similar to fixed wing that if you have an engine failure that you've got to be able to land clear without any damage to persons or property um, effectively. So, no, you wouldn't fly over a built-up area in a single-engine helicopter. Right. Um, you've got to think of that should the engine fail, we don't have the glide capabilities of an aeroplane, so basically you want to get to a safe landing site mm -hmm. without any damage to persons or property. Okay. So because of that, single-engine over built-up area, not really. No. Okay. Um, once you have your PPL in a certain type of aircraft. Are you then limited to that aircraft? Can you only fly, let's say, Robinson or Schweitzer? Yes, effectively, you can do a tight conversion, but unlike fixed wing, we are type specific. What do I mean by that? Well, basically, it means that you can only fly that type on your license unless you do a type conversion, which typically, uh, typically takes about five hours of flight training uh, with some groundwork and a flight test and then you're rated on that particular type of aircraft. So you can then fly both types. Mm -hmm. However, you've got to do a minimum of two hours per type on those aircraft unless they're in what's classed as a common group. But effectively, you're doing two hours per year per type, and you're also doing a license proficiency check, an LPC, per year on those aircraft as well. So unlike the fixed wing where you may just have difference training for a different type of aircraft in helicopters, we are very much type specific. Uh, what influences a group for a helicopter? Um, well, I would probably say cost, uh, maintenance, um, insurance. Uh, there aren't that many grouped uh, helicopters. Uh, we do have one at Barton, which is uh, an Enstrom 480. I think there's five in that group. But um, helicopter groups tend to be quite rare unlike fixed wing groups right. and that's probably because of the cost involved mm -hmm. you know um, they're, they're not cheap machines to run maintain fuel or um, maintenance okay uh, once you're qualified what sort of careers are out there for you um, at the moment probably with the current economic crisis that you know um, potentially there isn't a great deal of work out there for commercial heli pilots um, or even instructors 
but it's the same uh, potential situation for anybody that now is probably a good time to train. So when the upturn comes, effectively, you know, when the market improves and it's shown historically that it will improve, um, that you've been in a good position to go forward and actually um, and continue to work. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, we've got people who've become commercial pilots or instructors who are looking for work. Mm -hmm. So, very difficult times. And what sort of areas are there? In what industries? Um, you've got um, uh, mainly offshore, if you want to go into the commercial world, onshore, uh, commercial... Um, what we find is that anybody who's come through and qualified recently and have only got, say, 250 to 300 hours, yes, they've got a commercial license, but they've got no experience. So the commercial operators onshore, if you think about the person that maybe operates one or two jet rangers, this sort of thing, do they want to put their clients in that jet ranger with a low time and experienced pilot? Yeah. And the answer to that is usually no, unless they've trained that pilot. So very, very difficult, unless you're in the right place at the right time, and if you are a low-time, inexperienced commercial pilot, you're potentially looking at offshore to get some commercial work. But that world is quite fierce because you'll have a whole host of group of pilots mm -hmm. all after one particular job. So not easy. There's a lot of ex-RAF guys around that take um, those sort of jobs? No, I believe that, I mean, there are, but they're not as many as they used to be. You know, uh, To a certain degree, they'll keep them in the service um, or they'll come out of helicopters and go to the airline world. So not as many as the, there was, but those pilots as well, when they do come out, they tend to go for the air ambulance or police jobs. Mm -hmm. And again, if you look at air ambulance or, or police, and you're usually looking at a minimum 2,000 hour requirement and they want usually at least 500 hours of twin turbine time. So the average civilian pilot wouldn't even get close to that. Yeah. So from that point of view, it's a tough old world in the, in the commercial world. Um, you could go on from 200 to 50 hours to do an instructor rating. Um, but again, in the, in the current downturn, you know, instructional work is, is difficult. Um, and we've had recently, through our school, we've probably had at least more than half a dozen instructor stroke commercial pilots uh, asking us for work. So, Right, so you need a CPL for flying instructor work? Uh, you do under the current, yes, under the old system, the old CA system, myself and uh, another guy called Dave Greenwood that's based here, we did it under the old system where basically you got your PPL, you are built up to 200, 250 hours, and then you could do um, an assistant flight instructor's course and become an instructor and be paid to work as an instructor, uh, which was great. Got me into the system. Basically, I couldn't have done it without it under the new system. Uh, unfortunately, now you've got to get your commercial license first and then your instructor rating. So as a rough estimate, you are probably looking at to get to commercial level maybe forty, fifty thousand and an instructional tickets uh seventy, eighty thousand. So it's a lot of money and there's no guarantee of a job. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to do your commercial, your instructor rating and an IR rating, the instrument rating thirty five to forty thousand <laughs> I can see it's making your eyes wince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um you could we hear stories of people that have paid a hundred, a hundred and twenty thousand pounds and they haven't got a job. You know, and uh, if you asked any business guy on the planet, sort of thing, let's invest 110 grand, yeah. but there's no guarantee of a job. No return. Yeah. Yes, you, you can see where it's coming from. 
Um, you know, I've been very fortunate, very lucky that when I started, um, I started around about 96. Uh, I got a PPL, started in 94, but got my PPL at 96. And then in 1998, instructor rating, uh, 2003, commercial license, well before any recession or otherwise. So all along the way, people have asked me to work for them. And um, three years ago, we started the school here, having worked for another school owner. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, quite sadly, he ended up with a brain tumour and died. So um, I set up the school and carried on, basically. Okay. So I've been very, very lucky, uh, touch the old wood. Um, that it's worked out that way but uh, for other people they've paid out fortunes and there is no work at the moment but they should be in a good position if they can keep themselves current and active and busy in aviation within probably another 12 months two years but it's a waiting game mm -hmm. so yeah difficult times okay do you think with the uh current draft legislation from europe i know there, there are rumors of uh, an easing in the fixed wing mm -hmm. uh, sector that uh, you may be able to become a flying instructor without a CPL do you think something like yes. that might happen in the yeah. helicopter world correct yes it has been rumored that they will revert back to uh, some former system which is basically uh, if you can get yourself up to 250 hours total time including your PPL then you'll be able to do an instructional rating without a, a CPL license because there are guys out there that just want to maybe instruct at the weekends or you know ad hoc during the week um, why do you need a commercial license to do that so you don't really need it no if you're just going to teach and that's all you want to do it's a bit unfair that you've got to go all the way through the commercial license to, to, to get to that point and if you think about it both myself and Dave who are based here that's all we did we yep. did a PPL and an instructor ticket yeah so okay a little bit about uh, helicopter Northwest um, well um, as I say it's been uh, uh, established for uh, just coming up to four years actually in, in April uh, next year um, we started off with uh, one machine, um, we uh, uh, went up to about five machines, uh, we're now currently down to four machines. <laughs> we base two at Barton on a permanent basis, purely because the operational costs at Barton are quite expensive. Uh, and we keep uh, the other you know, um, two-stroke three machines off-site, I say uh, two-stroke three, we've got two operational and one that's on uh, an engine change with maintenance. Uh, which is an ongoing program basically um, and um, we've got Debbie in the office to to run that side of things uh, you know promotional events or you know um, uh, advertising or leaflets this sort of thing and the sort of services you offer in addition to training you do uh conversion training as we discussed we for different machines that's right yes we do tight conversion training so the main emphasis here is PPL training um, but we also do the tight conversion so once you've got your license you can tight convert and carry on to fly different types of aircraft um, but we also uh, tend to uh, do various events throughout the year for our you know clients effectively we tend to have a barbecue fly out um, we've also got uh, our next event is the uh, will be the Christmas party effectively uh, coming up, and there's various other evenings that we try to get them involved in, which is regard to safety and local air traffic. Okay. Uh, once you have your license, you can rent aircraft from yourself. You can indeed. Yes, um, we do rent aircraft out um, um, on a regular basis. Um, but as I say, what the, uh, our clients tend to like, or our ex-students who've now got a license, is we get them effectively 
to continue to say pay for a block of hours but within that block of hours we'll do a kind of 50-50 agreement where they can go out self-fly higher and they can take the aircraft away as long as they've been checked out at a particular landing site they can go there again or if the weather isn't so you know so good uh, we can go out and do some dual training so we don't effectively just say there's your license off you go we try and keep them um, actively involved in what we do and uh, keep them interested yes so uh, hopefully um, because one of the biggest concerns and I don't know if you see this in the fixed wing world is that people get a license and a lot of flying schools and I, I don't know why this happens but it's I can only think it's because they've had the money basically is that you've got your license and it's like bye off yep. you go yeah absolutely and you're left yep. on your own yep. uh, we don't do that we, we, we kind of we've still got the same people who've passed their licenses still come in on a regular basis. They'll call in, even for a cup of tea or coffee and a chat. You know, they'll call in, they'll meet the other students. And now what's happened is, over the last, like you say, three three years of building up, is effectively we've got students who are qualified that will actually hire the aircraft together. So they'll go and fly together, and you'll get one, you know, ex-student that will fly in one direction um, to a landing site, and uh, the other person will fly back so mm -hmm. it's kind of 50 50 which means they can go further afield and uh, recently which was really nice for me to see is we ended up at the Devonshire Arms Hotel uh, which is uh, up towards Bolton Abbey there near Keithley and um, there's three helicopters turned up we had the jet ranger with Joel Lynn that you've uh, spoken to earlier uh, I turned up with um, uh, one of our chaps who's got a license in the uh, Hughes 269 the Schweitzer and the R22 turned up so we had three helicopters there we all sat and had lunch and then we all flew back to Barton so it's fantastic so it's like a flying club rather than just a yep. flying school it is indeed so we don't just like say say there's your license off you go no no not for me right so yeah uh, just going back to the the training side of things and getting a little bit more in depth uh, for me as a, as a fixed wing pilot when I was learning to fly uh, the landing was was the uh, biggest hang up. Um, just learning to flare without sort of ballooning or um, going in nose wheel first, um, and also crosswind landings they were quite difficult. Are there any similarities that you know people have hang ups in different areas of the the, the helicopter training syllabus? There are many hang ups, um, but the main one effectively is the hover. Everybody's uh, yeah. effectively what what is quite strange is that we find that people are all of a sudden are frightened of the ground. Mm -hmm. Now that might sound a bit weird, because people when they've been flying want to get back on the ground, but when you're coming in to land, for example, in a helicopter, um, you've got to judge your hover height above the ground. And when you get the aircraft uh, on final approach all the way down to the hover and you, you're back into what we class as ground effect and you're there five foot off the ground with the skid height, um, you are very close to the ground. And we've said to the students, whatever you do, you mustn't drift sideways or backwards because if you clip a skid on the ground, you could roll the aircraft over. So all of a sudden, yeah. the student becomes a little bit frightened of the ground. Yeah. Um, which is, is quite an interesting concept because, as I say, most people want to get on the ground, yeah. you know. So from that point of view, they do find it quite difficult. But we said earlier that it's like stood on a beach ball, trying to pack your stomach, rub your head, you know, and uh, in the deep end of a swim pool. And that's what it's like invariably when you don't know what to do. So they can end up with arm ache, headache, you know, one hour flight in a helicopter training session. Uh, people like to go home and have a sleep because they're actually quite tired, you know. Um, so they do find it difficult. One of the biggest things that can be 
uh, a little bit of a hang-up is if you've flown aeroplanes and then you fly a helicopter because if you think about the aeroplane scenario you're taught to effectively set up the sight picture yeah. and you don't let the airspeed fall before you know below a set value you know perhaps 70 miles per hour let's say on the approach yeah. and you fly that approach speed all the way in there otherwise the aircraft could stall which is a bad thing in a helicopter we're actually bleeding the speed off to zero all the way down to the hover so you'll start the approach at say 60 knots which is quite familiar in a fixed wing but then as you come down to maybe 300 feet you'll slow the aircraft down to maybe 40 knots and then 30 knots so you'll end up at 30 knots at 30 feet above your landing site and as you come into the hover you've got no airspeed so if you try to get a fixed wing guy to do that and he's watching the airspeed come off it's quite alien so that can be a hang-up if you're a fixed-wing guy trying to fly a helicopter, basically. Is, is there an equivalent sight picture that you need to, to there get? There is, yeah, indeed. We still work with, and a lot of uh, guys would recognise this, effectively you've got the compass box mounted in your sight line and you've got the console with all the instruments on it. And as long as you keep the numbers fixed between the compass box and the console with all the instruments on there, the binnacle, then you'll go all the way to those numbers, effectively. And we use that sight picture whether the numbers go up the screen because you're getting too low or whether the numbers go down the screen because you're getting too high yeah. and then obviously we've got our various points a bit like fixed wing if the picture doesn't look right effectively you go around and have another go but the great thing is with helis because we can change the picture very quickly effectively we can change things very quickly for different landing sites to still get the end result that we want the bit that we've got to be very careful about is that the approach is correct mm -hmm. because otherwise we could end up in a situation uh, known as vortex which is where the helicopter descends in its own rotor downwash and that's quite a bad thing that we don't want to happen so any high fast approaches is a definite no-no and we fly away from that situation but any normal approaches where the sight picture is constant and they've got a reasonable amount of airspeed into the landing site is quite safe um, but just like aeroplanes there is a decision height to work to okay are um, the emergency procedures are they a big sort of hang up for uh, students like the auto rotations yeah, i think any student learning to fly it's a big hang up because yeah. the, a lot of the time they're working at max capacity just to fly the aircraft mm -hmm. and when the instructor says okay this sort of warning lights come on what you're going to do about it the usual common response is uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know and then we talk them through it and it's only through repetition and this is a great thing with people who've got the license to come back and do some dual training because again we put them back into that training environment and say okay you've got this situation what are you going to do about it mm -hmm. and strangely enough even people that have got licenses that have studied the manuals done all the homework passed the flight test you'll ask them what happens if this light comes on and they'll go uh uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I had that light. Yeah. So you get the same problem again, and it's only with experience and practice that you could actually turn around pretty quick and say, this is the course of action, this is what I'm going to do about it. So, yeah, you, you never stop learning, you know? So from that point of view, it's very interesting. Okay. All right, well, thank you very much, Gary. Uh, you're welcome uh, anytime if you want to uh, stop by for a coffee and a chat or uh, you know a catch up on where we're up to feel free and uh, anybody else out there if they want to call in by all means you can either call Debbie or you can talk direct to myself Gary because I love helicopters love talking about them and uh, unfortunately you know you'll have to drag me away from a cup of tea talking about it to fly.
Okay, how do we get in touch with you? Do you have a phone number and a website? Yes, we've got um, uh, the website is uh, basically the usual W's and uh, it's uh, helicoptersnorthwest.co.uk, so it's all one word. Um, you can contact us direct on 0161 789 Or if you want to speak to me direct, it's uh, 07745 and uh, I'll chat to you all day about helicopters. But uh, I might have to break off and go and fly at some point. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again to Gary for the interview. That was quite interesting for me, especially the differences between fixed wing and helicopter training. If you'd like to get more info regarding Helicopters Northwest, you can visit their website, which, as Gary mentioned, is www.helicoptersnorthwest.co.uk. That's helicoptersnorthwest.co.uk. The rest of their contact details are in the show notes on the Flying Podcast website, which is uh, at www.flyingpodcast.co.uk. Well, that's it for episode 17. Uh, if you have any comments or suggestions for the future episodes, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon. <laughs>